Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I want to walk, but I run back to you. I can't help it. Sometimes you just want to sing that song. Sometimes when you stand alone, you know, people will call you all kinds of different names. Right? I mean, some people say, oh, she's so brave. And other people say, oh, so perceptive. And then other people say, she's out of her mind. She's crazy. You know? Um, and I, I'm a big admirer of people who stand alone because you got to have some conviction. And, and I do. I have, a, uh, I have way more conviction than I think most people give me credit for. I should take that. I should probably reframe that. I think people, some people who didn't know me as well as they thought they knew me are very surprised by my consistency. You know, it'd be so much easier to go along with the uh, prevailing attitudes, whatever they may be. You know, the political attitudes, the cultural war attitudes. You know, there's the uh, people who just uh, have all the answers and they are convinced they're right. And then there are people like me who really, really, really think that the majority of people are just wrong and that it's my responsibility, it's my job to speak to the things that I know to be true. Whether it makes me, uh, you know, whether you think I'm crazy or you think I'm um, actually uh, brilliant. Some people think I'm brilliant because I take positions and can stand on those positions. And even more than that, I won't sway. I get it. I get it. I'm all of the above. Okay. Just in case, whatever name you're calling me, I accept it. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to try to live up to it. How about that? Because that's all I can do. I, ca I can't worry about what everybody else thinks or says about me. Um, I wouldn't have lasted this long if I, if I took it all so personally. Um, but I'm really, 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 I'm really a big fan of Neil Gorsuch. You know, I told you I was going to spend the weekend reading a lot of these Supreme Court opinions, and most of them were pretty um, self-explanatory, and I kept thinking to myself, well, if, if people want to, you know, read these opinions, these are all written uh, pretty pretty simply, and I think anybody, they're not really complex cases. I disagree with one, and I agree with another, and then I'm like ambivalent about two more. Uh, but there's one that I really, really, really found fascinating. And one of the chief, one of the justices, Neil Gorsuch, stood alone in an eight to one decision. Now that's, uh, that's rare, and it's the case of Sveen versus Mellon. And basically what he was addressing was the contracts clause that's found in Article I, Section 10 of the Constitution. 
The clause declares that no state shall pass a law impairing the obligation of contracts. So what that means is you had protection of your individual rights. You know, the framers intended it to keep state governments from passing laws that stopped people from fulfilling what they had contractually agreed to do. You know, it actually made it legal for them to violate their word. And I think that's part of the problem today, why we have so much injustice. You know, the all social justice warriors seem to ignore the fact that we all live contractual lives. At least most of our actions and relationships involve some form of contract. We enter into contracts uh, when we buy clothing. The, the work that we do, the hours that we work, the food that we purchase, the food that we eat, even our marriages. It's the contractual relationship is what ensures that the way we agree to share our property with others, whether it's your labor, your money, or your commitment, that you follow that. This clause did not eliminate any regulation of how we interact with each other contractually. The state still could and should set basic rules, right? Protecting us against dangerous and inherently unjust contracts. But in this case, the litigation is really uh, unusual. It involved who should be the beneficiary of Mark Sveen's life insurance policy when he passed away uh, back in 2011. In his policy, he named Kay Mellon, the woman he married in 1997. And when the couple divorced in 2007, he didn't change the designation during the following four years leading up to his death. Yet under Minnesota law, a law passed after he bought his policy, a divorce automatically voided an ex's designation as life insurance beneficiary. So the court, based on its precedent, held that. Eight justices held that the Minnesota law accorded with the contracts clause both in general and as applied to this instance that contracts must assume in them the laws made by states. Gorsuch disagreed, and I agree with Gorsuch, that such reasoning and assumptions could be made under the uh, Constitution. It's like an assault on an entire century, if not longer, of Supreme Court precedent on the clause. Yeah, the, well, without getting too far into the woods, the categorical rule, which was established by the Constitution, may be inconvenient for states, but it's there. Anyway, you know, the life insurance policy seems to be a minor part of this case, but I, I love the fact that Neil Gorsuch, from the perspective of pure uh, votes, his position was, you know, you have to be, you have to be strong, you have to be mighty, you have to know what you're talking about. It's rare that an eight point, you know, eight to one decision comes back to your vindication. But there's one perspective from which Neil Gorsuch is not insane and not lonely, and that's the Constitution, right? While certainly not the definitive interpretation of the Contracts Clause, his dissenting opinion 
holds plenty of support in the framers' intentions and also in precedent, Supreme Court precedent. So, and, and now you get kind of like a small window into why I get really excited about reading these opinions because you don't have to be a lawyer to uh, love the Constitution and want it to apply in our interactions with one another. You don't have to be a lawyer. I get that. And I read these opinions, and you know, if I was Kim Kardashian, I'd, I'd take the bar exam. That's how many opinions <laughs> I've read. Nah, I wouldn't take the bar exam. But, but I, you know, you have to. I gave birth to a lawyer. There's a different kind of thinking that goes on in the mind of a lawyer. And I am capable of that kind of thinking. I just don't have the training, right? But I suppose, like you know, maybe when I retire, I'll go to law school. Not. But anyway, I look down at lawyers. You don't want to be a lawyer. Just kidding. I don't look down at any lawyer that has gotten me out of trouble, that's for sure. Um, so what a weekend, right? Mostly it was a lot of uh, headbanging and a lot of uh, recriminations about the lost uh, submersible, a lot of expressions of concern about where we're going to be able to get news that we can trust and all the rest of it. And I know a lot of people who are really just, you know, concerned that they don't trust so many different sources. At least, you know, we used to have a, a kind of a, a an arm's length relationship with Fox. Now, a lot of us have turned it off, you know, just not watching it anymore. And uh, that's going to impact conservative media. Uh, I think it'll be good for talk radio, but it's certainly uh, not that there's a tremendous amount of online, uh, you know, conservative stuff anymore. It keeps getting taken down by the various uh, YouTube and, and Google and everybody else. You can't even uh, search for some of these websites that I used to use on a regular basis. But hey, you know, um, we will rally on. There's plenty of information out there on the World Wide Web that uh, Al Gore invented. And therefore, I'll do the digging, and you guys will get the benefit of the hours that I spend pouring over this stuff. And it really does now require hours. There's no uh, source that I go to on a regular basis where I can get everything that I need. So I'm doing as much research as I can, and I, I got to tell you, my head hurts. You know, my hair hurts. That's how much. We got a lot of decisions coming down today from the Supreme Court, which is great for me because I enjoy it, but they just threw out the appeal from Louisiana. So that is, a you know, they're about to, well, what they've done is they've given permission uh, to them to redraw the, you know, the uh, congressional districts. Now, the purpose of this, the, by the way, it's not even clear yet whether there were any dissents. I'm just looking. It says they ruled that another congressional map may have to be redrawn amid claims that it inappropriately dilutes the influence of black voters in the state. The writ of surgery before judgment is dismissed as improvidently granted. The stay, therefore, entered by the court on June of 2022 is vacated. And then it says the case needs to be resolved before congressional elections in Louisiana in November of 2024. This will allow the matter to proceed before the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. So, I, so I, I'm not sure because they took up 
the case last year, but they put it on hold because they were waiting to see what the ruling in another case from Alabama was, which they issued in a 5-4 ruling. So I'm not sure, you know, uh, what this means. It, it's, it's actually the court's rejection of a, they rejected the redistricting in Alabama, but they unfroze the Louisiana case. That is quite confusing. I'm gonna have to dig a lot deeper, but you know, listen, these are the, the things that occupy my brain. I cannot sit around like so many others, you know, debating whether there's equal justice. No, there's not equal justice, okay? Get over it. You know, uh, Hunter Biden is gonna get away with a slap on the wrist, even though he committed crimes that would have put me in jail for five years or more. And that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, Donald Trump is gonna be dragged through court cases, investigations, they're gonna do whatever they can, damage him as badly as they can to prevent him, they hope, from getting the nomination, but if he gets a nomination, from ever serving again. What can I tell you? You know, that's our reality. Doesn't mean that the, everything's lost. There's other stuff we have to do. We have to get control of. We have to stay focused. We can't just keep, you know, whacking them all here and whacking them all there and waiting until the next one pops up. You know, we've got to get focused. By the way, I'm looking at all these people leaving the Biden administration. How come this is never talked about? Uh, and I admit, I don't even talk about it. You got all these illegal immigrants coming into the country. I'm going to talk about that in the next seg segment, right? And four more of President Biden's top border officials have quietly resigned in the last two weeks, which brings the total to seven in the last two months and a whole lot of speculation about why. We just, the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security, John Tien, he's leaving. He was a year, appointed a year ago. Highly decorated U.S. Army veteran. He served as the Director of National Security Council under the Obama and Bush administrations. And now he's leaving to spend more time with his family in Georgia. Whenever they say that, I know something's happening, right? That's like, my dog ate my homework. <laughs> That's how they use it, right? I'm going home to be with family. I, I remember Trey Gowdy saying that. And now he's on TV, you know. They just, it's my dog ate my homework. Same, same kind of excuse. There comes at a time, though, in everybody's life. My friend Ira Melman said this from Federation of American Immigration Reform when there were resignations in the past. He said, there comes a time when you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I just can't do this anymore because it's absolute chaos under this open border policy of Joe Biden's. On June 22nd, Fair said that the impact of illegal, I had Dr. Steve Camerata on my show last week, that the impact of illegal immigration on the United States is gonna cost taxpayers $163 billion. When he broke out the figures for Florida, I'm sure you were stunned, because I was. The population of illegal immigrants living in the US has now reached 16 Point eight million illegal immigrants, okay? That's more than the population of 46 out of 50 states. So there are more illegal immigrants than there are residents in 46 of our 50 states. That ought to make your hair hurt. All right, let me take a break. Don't forget to download the app, the 850WFTL app. That way you get uh, my new podcast is coming down today. We've got shows and stories and uh, the uh, Steve Diener's uh, un unidentified 
flying objects or whatever his show is called is booming. People are just loving that show from all over the world. So you might want to check it out. All right, Cool Dad Rules, a lot of stuff to check out on your podcasts. And then, of course, you can do that on your app, your 850WFTL app, or go to the website, 850WFTL. We've got a contest. We're giving away food. You know you love food. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP Podcast. So uh, the Fox News Channel did uh, decide to announce the new lineup for primetime. And, you know, it's cheap. That's what it is. It's what they could do and not have to get a salaried person onto the air. It's going to, let's see what we got here. You got at 7 o'clock, Laura Ingram got kicked out of, they're calling that the kickoff of primetime. That ain't no kickoff. Uh, so then they move, uh, what's his name? Jesse Waters is going to take over Tucker Carlson's time slot. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, Sean Hannity will stay at 9, and Greg Gutfeld moves to 10 p.m. And the nightly newscast Fox News at Night with Trace Gallagher will air an hour earlier at 11 p.m. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> How about that, you know? It's not even, doesn't move me at all, at all. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't take Jesse Waters that seriously, to be honest with you. And uh, I, can't, I can't watch any of the other ones. They're just, they're tedious. How about that? They're just tedious. I kept thinking that they would uh, give it to Mark Levin and then uh, he could, I don't know. Stop doing his radio show if he wanted to, or reduce the time on the radio show. He's got a new book coming out anyway, so he's going to be promoting it everywhere. So we'll see. But th you know, this is this is like what do they say? Moving the chairs around on the Titanic. You know, you, the ship is going down, and and they must know it. So that's what they're going to do. You know, they're just going to you know shift the chairs around and see if somebody will buy that lineup. And I can tell you right now. Uh, ain't happening. So everybody's talking about Russia, right? Finally. And they're talking about the fact that uh, Prigozhin, who is the commander of Russia's Wagner private army that has been fighting right alongside of the Russian forces in Ukraine, has now called on Russian forces to join his armed rebellion against Putin, against the military's leadership. And there are all these videos on social media that I've been watching over the weekend that show Prigozhin's forces like in these huge convoys on their way to the southern region headquarters of the Russian military. And then they storm the building. And like, it's the funniest video. You got to watch it. I should have put it up. I didn't. But it's the uh, funniest video of civilians just standing around casually you know, smoking cigarettes and wa watching this. The Wagner Group storming the headquarters of the Russian Defense Ministry in the city of Rostov. It's a military coup and people are standing there smoking cigarettes and watching it. 
makes you kind of wonder, or at least it makes me wonder, right? And of course, most of this, the videos have not been independently verified. So you don't know if the videos are accurate or not, but you know, it's what Andrew Breitbart talked about, that now everybody's a civilian journalist. They're gonna be videotaping everything that happens. Meanwhile, according to the Washington Post, uh, Putin made a very brief speech condemning Prigozhin and then told the Russian people to oppose uh, Prigozhin and uh, you know, called him a terrorist, compared him to a terrorist. Everyone who deliberately embarked on the path of betrayal, this is like Shakespearean, who prepared an armed rebellion chose the path of blackmail and terrorist methods, they will suffer inevitable punishment. Prigozhin has also been charged with armed insurrection by the National Anti-Terrorism Committee, which is part of the Federal Security Services, according to NPR Radio. Prigozhin has argued that his forces are only seeking justice for a missile strike that killed some of his men at the order of evil Russian military leadership. I mean, this is really, it's such a mess. It is such a, and that's what Donald Trump called it over the weekend. I'm looking at all the leaders, you know, presidential power government, and then Donald Trump summed it all up. He said, it's a mess. It is. It's a mess. And we're, we're providing, you know, weaponry to the Ukrainians who, uh, you know, are also a mess. I, I don't get it. You know, the public is actually being deceived at every level. We don't get an accurate representation of what's happening. We don't understand how uh, Russia's military even argue. Uh, our, look, I didn't even know there was such a thing as the Wagner Group until about a month ago. All right? And now it's, you know, occupying military installations across the city and being probably attacked by the Russian Air Force. And I'm sitting here in America and we're all trying to figure out like what is actually going on and is this what a rebellion looks like in this modern age? Because there are those of us, and I would have to put my hand up, who think that if things continue in the manner that they're going, you run a very high risk of some people in this country getting good and fed up and scared and nervous enough to start a rebellion. I mean, the, 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 actually, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution actually encourages us if at any point we feel our government is failing to, tr to treat us equally, we can part, we can depart. That's what the revolution was all about. You know, people said, no, nope, we're not paying taxes to King so-and-so, and we'll throw the tea in the harbor before we you know, do that. And I'm telling you, I talk to people all the time. You get the emails all the time, as I do. This assault on gun shops and, and, and the stealing of records of registered gun owners is the kind of thing that, makes people very nervous. So nervous that, you know, they may find a good, you know, it's fascinating. Whenever we talk about the Middle East with a liberal, they tell me that the 
terrorists, which is what they are, Hamas and, and, and you know, all of these uh, um, Arab groups that launch missiles and attack Israel and basically attack each other too, the Shiites attack the Sunnis, and, you know, all, that all of that stuff, those are not uh, terrorists, those are uh, guerrillas fighting for their rights. At what point does a terrorist become a guerrilla? You know, what, what's that magical moment? Because you're, you're looking around the country right now and you're seeing, they call parents terrorists at board meetings. You know, at what point do we run the risk of terrorists actually becoming guerrilla fighters? I don't know. But it's a good question. And I'm sure that uh, some people are, are, are actually quite concerned about it. I'm beginning, beginning to be quite concerned about it, especially as I looked at this you know, armed insurrection by one part of the military in Russia against the rest of the Russian military. Because the one question people always ask me is if there were to be a, re a revolution, a rebellion, what position would the military take? You know, and that'll keep you up at night. Certainly keeps me up at night. Let me take a break. I'm going to take care of a little business, and then we'll be right back. I'll tell you, sometimes I, uh, I wonder how it is that so many people are just stuck on stupid. You know, they just refuse to pay attention. And I, um, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'll have conversations with people and they'll say like some of the craziest things. And trust me, I no longer sneer or snicker when somebody tells me a so-called, uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, uh, conspiracy theory. Because most of the conspiracy theaters, uh, conspiracy theories that I used to believe came true. So that would mean they're not theories. They are reality. And you don't have to, uh, you don't have to look too far to know that I'm absolutely correct. So one of the things that I have decided now is this upcoming election, and it's not this year, but it is next year, and it's going to be here before you know it, is fundamentally the most important election ever. I don't always say that. Everybody else always says that, but I have said it a few times. I said it in uh, 2009. I said it in 2016 or 2015, and I'm saying it again. Because if, no matter who ends up in the White House, if we can't get a majority of conservatives, and I'm not talking about Republicans only, because I think you're going to see more conservative Democrats rising up at this point, because they've just gone so far to the left and so crazy that I know plenty of Democrats who would follow somebody with a little more, you know, sechel, uh, you know, a little more common sense. And, uh, and I think you, you, you're going to have to accept that, because half the Republicans up there are, I don't know what they're doing. They're just taking up space. You wouldn't know them if you walked into them in the street and they're voting absent or they're not, you know, the, who's George Santos? Why is he still there? I mean, I have so many questions about Congress. We need a resounding majority and we need more people who are willing, like Comer and Jim Jordan, 
who are willing to buck the odds. We lost some valuable people this year. You know, uh, it breaks my heart to think that Louis Gohmert's not there. You know, somebody I could rely on. And and so many have, have just abandoned ship, and I, I you can't even blame them. Who would want to be there? Uh, you know, somebody said to me the other night, you know, it, it really is time for you to jump into a race. And I'm like, what, are you crazy? Is that That's like wishing I was, uh, you know, I don't know, wishing I died or something. I, no, 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 no. But there are good people who can serve, and they ought to be stepping up. There's a couple of good people right here in, uh, you know, Palm Beach County, in Broward County. Unfortunately, they always all choose to jump into the same race. But, you know, listen, I can't control that. But I'm going to get behind candidates for, for congressional seats. All out. I mean, th we need a movement. And Florida now is red. If we can't do it here, they're not going to be able to do it around the country. You know, I'm watching. I'm looking around the country. I'm seeing some people emerge. And I, I have a new policy. Like, you know, I don't want us to spend a lot of time supporting people who can't win elections. That's all. We have to support people who have won elections or can win elections or have such incredible resumes that we can, you know, get behind them and see, see them defeat even long-term incumbents. You know, I had Corsetti on the other day. There's no reason on earth that anybody, a, a, a Democrat or a Republican, wouldn't support him. Uh, yes, he's a conservative, but you, you can't possibly think that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a good congresswoman. You know, she's a whining, victimized complainer. I don't need that in Congress. I got enough, let her get a radio show. Let her go on MSNBC. You know, but, but she's not serving any purpose in Congress. Every time she opens her mouth, it's embarrassing for the district. And, and I would include even, you know, people who support her. She's just an embarrassment. I, you know, my first introduction to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, I was on the air. And uh, I, I kind of tricked her into coming on to my show. And, you know, her, she was in the state house at the time. And she was championing a piece of legislation that I found so patently absurd that I had to come get her to come into the studio so I could ask the question. She was not happy. But she was championing a piece of legislation that would prohibit a dry cleaner from charging more for a woman's blouse than they do for a man's shirt. Now, forgive me, but like, is that what you want people legislating in a state house or now she's in the, you know, the, the national house, you know, the people's house? That kind of thinking, that small victim kind of thinking is, is just useless to me. And, and it's, it's, it really is indicative of everything she's ever championed in her life. Because number one, she doesn't believe in the free market. Because if she did, she would know that women will find a dry cleaner that they can afford. You know, right after she had that uh, big epiphany that we needed to have e equity in the price of, uh, you know, blouses and shirts, which nobody else cared about, I don't think, they started these, uh, you know, uh, does all dry cleaners. You know, two ninety nine for any article of clothing. 
Okay, there's your answer, Debbie. The free market came up with your answer. The free market always will come up with an answer. You may not like the answer, Debbie, but they will come up with an answer. I'm tired of people like her. We got to get her out. That I'm going to be hell-bent on removing some of this dead wood. Let them go and have a career doing anything else. It's not supposed to be a lifetime appointment. Debbie Wasserman, shows, I'm on the air 33 years. She's been in office the whole time, starting in the state and then in the uh, House of Representatives in Washington. The whole time. Like, Why? Can anybody point to some landmark legislation that she co-sponsored or sponsored or wrote? No. You know, all you can do is say she even got thrown out of the Democratic National Committee, which she was chairing, because she, she tipped the scales away from Bernie Sanders to Clinton and then thought she was going to get an appointment. Oh, please. You know, she's got a, a terrible, terrible backstory. Why, was she, why does she keep getting elected? You know, why did Alcee Hastings get elected over and over? And now the replacement to Alcee Hastings, it's the same thing. They're going to elect them over and over and over and over again. Come on, guys. You know, it's really time to get behind these congressional seats because that's the only power we're going to have. You know, the Senate races, you know, I don't know even know what to say about the Senate races. I'm not overly impressed with either one of our senators, but you know what? They are conservatives. And they're fiscal conservatives, and Rubio talks about China all the time, which is fine. You know, I can live with it. I don't like him. I would rather somebody else were my senator, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go all out to get rid of him. I'm not. You know, but Congress, we got some congressmen. We need to shake them up. We need to get them out. You know, why is Frankel there? Come on, guys. We got to be able to do better than this. And if not now, when? You know, the the coattails of the presidential ticket are always important for congressional seats. And now some of you are shaking your heads and go, yeah, but we don't, we don't know if we'll get up somebody who can win the presidency. Well, we do, you just don't want to admit it. You know, that's my opinion. It's like when your kids say, I could never do that. And I said, well, why don't you just put pen to paper? I bet you can. You know, I got a guy who knows how to put pen to paper and you guys are all running around going, but I don't like his personality. And he's under indictment. You know, and I'm thinking, this is this is really pathetic. You know, I, I, it. You know what it showed me though, and this was an important lesson for me, and I think it should be an important lesson for everybody. You know, some people tell me they, lo you know, they love me, they're my friends, they do anything for me, and then I watch the way they behave when it comes to Trump, and I think to myself, Nah, you ain't got my back. All right. Don't forget, Dan Bongino's coming up at 1 o'clock, Ben Shapiro at 4 o'clock, Matt Walsh at 5 o'clock, and then the WPTV Local News. We have Joe Peggs, Lars Larson. Got a whole lineup for you, and Jen and Bill. Well, Bill and Stephen will be back in the morning. As for now, I have one segment left. You stay right where you are. We just ignore the fact that we have a record-breaking influx of illegal immigrants into the United States, you know, uh, and, and that just, it, it boggles my mind, you know, that, that, that they really don't think it's important enough to address, and that most of the people that are actually working in the administration, they are uh, not, not, uh, not staying, they go. It's, it must be a miserable job. 
Anyway, in about three weeks, well, two weeks, actually, we'll be once again, is it less? It's less. Celebrating the 4th of July. But what are we really celebrating? Because for all too many Americans, the 4th of July is just a holiday that you get a day off. You know, maybe has fireworks. That's the difference. You know, some of us understand that what happened on this day, this was the day that we declared our independence from Great Britain. But how many of us actually stop to reflect on the fact that it was a true revolution? You know, that in and of itself, it, it created this declaration of independence and the creation of a nation that was based on a universal idea. Alexander Hamilton in The Federalist said that the United States had the opportunity to establish a government founded on reflection and choice rather than on accident and force. They, they declared, they said that the Declaration of Independence got its authority from self-evident truths. Do we still even believe in them? Do we still believe, as the Declaration says, that nature, including human nature, is accessible to human reason? And that human reason can ascertain the laws of nature and of nature's God and all these self-evident truths that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. I don't know about you, but I had to memorize that when I went to school. And it lives deep inside of me. You know, I, I had to recite the Declaration of Independence. I had to recite, uh, you know, the Lincoln-Gettysburg Address. We were taught these things. They were planted inside us. You know, the Constitution was designed to provide a framework for the kind of government that they envisioned when they separated from Great Britain, a republic, a, a commonwealth that was supposed to protect the natural rights of its citizens. And I look at what's going on right now, it's scary. You know, laws in the United States are supposed to derive from a constitution that is related to the Declaration of Independence, uh, just like effect is related to cause. And the Declaration, which is the cause, is also a political statement of a philosophical teaching that concerns the nature of man, of providence, of nature itself. In it, we learn that nature's God endows all of us with those rights. And the Constitution was understood by the framers to have a purpose, to establish such a government. There's no question about it. So why have we strayed so far? You know, why do we not know this? Our presumed governors have cast aside everything. What was created as a commonwealth has devolved into this oligarchy. A, a few people ruling whose interests are at odds with the rest of us. You know, this ruling oligarchy includes not only unelected bureaucrats, or the deep state, whatever you want to call them, but now it includes corporate leaders in tech, corporate leaders in finance, corporate leaders in the media, 
and they establish the rules and then they themselves are exempted from them. That's why this is a political crisis we're in today. We have a lawless executive. We have a Congress and a court that are complicit in this lawlessness. So we have an out of control federal government that actually makes a mockery of the idea of a self-governing people. It's because we've changed in our view of, the rela of our relationship and of the relationship between the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. That's why, you know, I think one day historians are going to look back at this period of time, and I'm going to say probably from about 1990 till whenever, where we completely lost our way. You know, uh, uh, no limited government. The idea of limited government is out the window. Social questions and social justice and, uh, you know, uh, equity and diversity and all of these things have forced us to abandon all of our traditions. And uh, definitely, um, you know, we have become... What, what's the right word? I mean, I want to say flaccid, but people always associate that with some sort of sexual concept. But it's, we're, just, we're just weak, and all of us find some victimhood that we can claim. Mm -mm. We need to reconceive, and we need to evolve, or maybe devolve, back to a government of the people by the people, for the people. Otherwise, this is not a happy ending. You know, there's a crisis of constitutionalism. And, and it is meaningful only if its principles, which authorize the government, are understood to be permanent and unchangeable. It is not an evolving, a living, breathing document. It is unchangeable, in contrast to the statute laws that government makes that just alter with circumstances and changing political requirements of every generation. If a written constitution is to have any meaning, it must have a rational or a theoretical ground that distinguishes it from government. When the principles that establish the legitimacy of the constitution are understood to be changeable or forgotten or denied, then you can no longer impose limits on the power of government. In that case, which is where we are right now, government itself will determine the conditions of the social compact and become the arbiter of the rights of individuals. We gotta fix it. We have an obligation to fix it. And we have enough people to get it done. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. In the meantime, I'll be pouring over the Supreme Court opinions and the Wagner Group in Russia and all the other, uh, you know, all the stuff that's coming out about the submersible. I mean, there's plenty to occupy my not-so-free time. As for you, just relax, and may God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. Don't give up, guys. We're going to do more than move the seats around on this Titanic. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.